Great. How's everybody? All right, that's a good start, I guess. So, like she said, my name is Mario Moore. I'm from Magnolia, Arkansas, small town down south. Don't know it, don't worry about it. So, uh, I've much like you, uh, have had my own battles and misunderstandings about discipleship, but just kind of as a start our time off today, I want to just, I did this last week, I want to gauge the room just yet again. So, everyone, first, raise your hand. Just raise your hand, either one choose. How many of you heard the gospel by the age of six? Put your hand down. Twelve. Interesting. Eighteen or older. Okay. That's probably what I thought it was. Okay, everyone, hands back up. One more time. How many of you had a general understanding of what discipleship was by the age of six. Twelve. Eighteen. Hmm. Do you see? I've always noticed that gap that, that happens usually with the understanding of like our salvation and what discipleship really was. <laughs> There's there was this big gap that I usually saw with people is that but as we come to understand today, I want to kind of address some of those concerns and some of those misconceptions that we may have or even further our understanding or our application in discipleship. But how many of you are actually being discipled by someone in this church? That's great. Wow. Okay. Great. That kind of helps me know where I'm going. Uh, it kind of helps me know you a little bit better. So you know you're helping me even now. So... Uh, I was blessed by God to, gosh, is that me? All right, let's try again. I was blessed by God to have been constantly discipled uh, during my collegiate career in college um, because I was, do, and I was discipled by somebody who was actually a part of my church. Uh, freshman year, I was discipled by the pastor of the church I was attending at the time. He was 80 years old. Um, the man had probably forgotten more than he'll ever know. Uh, he is, I remember, I remember doing our first meeting. I was there reading scripture. And as I finished the passage, I looked up and he was asleep. Um, <laughs> and a big key difference that, that was very prevalent for me was that this was an 80 year old white man. Uh, someone who was very different from me and grew up in very different times from me. Uh, this is not at all what I personally envisioned when I thought about discipleship. This was not the picture of discipleship that I thought would be very real in my life. But if we're being honest, discipleship does not always appear as we expect it. It's not as flashy as we would like it to be. Discipleship sometimes is not an exciting roller coaster of sharing our feelings and going to Onyx to get coffee. Yet, no matter how glamorous it may or may not be, I think we can be assured of this. True discipleship adheres us to the Savior that abides in us. Last week, we used Dietrich Bonhoeffer's definition for discipleship, which he said meant adherence to Christ. So, discipleship should glue us to the hip of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And if there's one thing I've learned from my elementary students that I teach is that they love to know how to make glue. 
They love to know how to make glue or any slimy substance for that matter. So I just want to take some time to teach us how do we make the adherence, the glue known as discipleship. I want to give us the ingredients, three ingredients for this inherent known as discipleship and the purpose of each one of them. And as any good ingredients this would do, it would first begin with the ingredient of the utmost importance. And that is none other than the master himself, Jesus Christ. The greatest need of discipleship is the master. The purpose of this main ingredient is simply to adhere us to him. I believe John 15 does a good job of describing our adherence to the master. We see the proof for us to be in a state of discipleship or truly adhering to Christ. In order to be someone who proclaims to be one who adheres to him, we must bear fruit. The picture of bearing fruit is emphasized throughout verses 1 through 11 in John 15. These verses inform us that we that are the branches that abide in the true vine, which is Jesus Christ, and therefore we bear fruit. But what does it even mean to bear fruit? Let me assure you that each of us, we bear fruit. No doubt about it. Each of us bear fruit. One applicable way in which we bear fruit is how we train or discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Like this says in verse on um, 1 Timothy 4 and 7. A training that involves meditation of the word, prayer, worship, fasting, giving, and being a member of the local church. These are all good fruits in which we can bear. Galatians chapter 5 also helps bring light and evidence of this fruit of the Spirit, this good fruit. In verse 22, it describes us the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and even self-control. Yes, we all bear fruit, but that doesn't mean we all naturally bear good fruit. It's not organic to our nature to bear good fruit. No, if we even go back to Galatians chapter 5, <clears throat> what we bear naturally is explained in verses 19 through 22. It describes that it doesn't, we don't bear the fruit of the spirit, but rather the desires of the flesh. The verses show how we desire sexual immorality over love. We desire fits of anger and rage and robberies over patience. We desire enmity and strife over joy. We desire dissensions and divisions over kindness and goodness. And Jeremiah 17 verse 9 even explains to us why we desire these things. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Point blank, we are broken in our sinfulness that separates us from the goodness of God the Father. If deceitfulness is the natural draw of our heart, if rage and the desires of the flesh are the natural, organic draw of our sin-sick hearts, what is our hope? What is our hope in bearing good fruit and being a good disciple of Christ? Well, here's your hope. Christ saves us. 
John 15, 16 tells us that we didn't, although that we did not choose him, but he chose us and appointed us that we should go and bear fruit and that our fruit should, should abide. Christ first abided in us that we may abide in him and bear this good fruit. And for those of us who abide in him, may we be convinced that no lust can ever outmatch his true love. Let us evaluate our adherence by asking ourselves, being honest with ourselves, where's the fruit? If we lack if you were to look at your life right now and you say you lack fruit or show lack of any evidence of abiding fruit, then I want to invite you even here today to repent and believe in this master. If you don't see any evidence of this good fruit, but rather you, your life points more to the deceitful and sin-sick nature of the flesh, then I will call you even here to repent of your sins that separate you from the goodness of God the Father. And believe in Jesus Christ, who took on the price of our sins on the cross, died for our sins, was buried, but also was raised from the grave, declaring victory. I call you to believe in this Jesus. I think we ought to see that Christ truly is needed as the master for us to bear good fruit. Ephesians 2 helps us even further expound on this reality because it helps us realize that we're either adhering to the master or we're adhering to the master manipulator who is Satan. This is the trueness of our adherence. But if we're honest, those of us who bear fruit of salvation, we're still lacking in many areas. There may be good fruit in your life, but you notice that you still lack and you need the Savior even now. But as we look in our journey of following Christ, by the grace of God, we are given yet another ingredient that we don't have to figure out and muster up within our own selves and by ourselves how to better follow him on our own. He provides others to disciple you, which is the second ingredient. You see, there are many ways that you at this moment can be discipled. I don't know if you realize that right now, but there are many ways which you can be discipled. If you're not aware, there are great parachurch ministries on the University of Arkansas campus that pride themselves on discipling students and seeing them grow to be more like Christ. For example, there's the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. I was a part of that one myself. There's Crew, there's Stumo, there's Impact. Just to name a few, and the list goes on and on. There are collegiate ministries with strong presences on campus. You could be a part of some fraternity or sorority like Beta Upsilon Chi or Phylam. Uh, you could also be in one-on-one discipleships, rela- discipling relationships with other college students or mentors. All these are available to you. But there is one avenue of discipleship that is sadly overlooked by college students. And that's being a member of the local church. See, the local church has this advantage over all the other organizations on campus. 
You see, some of these churches, like First Baptist Church, Fayetteville, University Baptist Church, The Hill, Cross Church, they all have ministries that gather and equip people with similar affinities to you. Yet, while they may have people who are of your affinity, there are also people who are nothing like you. Think back to my first discipleship story. Like, I was discipled by a man who was nothing like me. Yet, while the blessing of this local church is that there is unity in diversity, Paul will begin to draw out this beauty in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19, 19 through 22. He says, even then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the miraculous work of Christ. As Christ draws us closer to those who are unlike us, we're inevitably drawn closer to him. So I'll call you even here today to begin to seek out and learn from the body that even from people who are not like you, people who are a bit older than you even, there's some great lessons that you can learn from a married man or married woman about your, your current discernment in your relationships. There are lessons that you can learn of how to be good stewards with your money or even how to be content with the lack of those resources. There are people here who have a keen knowledge of, the, of understanding the word of God. There are many great things that we can learn from these people who are, although they are different from us, we still have a lot that we can learn from them. But the first thing I would have us to do is to pray that God would help us understand who can we point, who will he point in our way to disciple us. Even how, excuse me, but right now, I, before I, before I continue, I, I want to backtrack just a little bit. Because most of this implies that you are a part of a local church. And I don't want to leave you with the assumption that you are a part of the local church. If you have not become a member of any local church, whether it's here, UBC or FBC or wherever, there are great churches here in Northwest Arkansas. I implore you and, and I really push on you to become a member. Submit yourself to the body. In his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, Robert Coleman emphasizes the necessary role for the local church to assume leadership of those in the community of faith. He quotes, he says, the church is the means of follow-up to all those who have followed the master. This is the reason that Christ is concerned with establishing and building his church on the foundation of the truth of his deity, as just proclaimed in Matthew chapter 16, because he desired that the church betray his lordship. By joining the church, we submit ourselves to the body of Christ and its teachings and its leadership. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33, it begins to unfold this ministry mystery to us of in your submission to the local church body, the body in return 
gives itself to you that you might be sanctified and cleansed by the washing of water with the word. You joining the local church allows them to aid you in your adherence to Christ. But don't miss your discipling moments. Even here at UBC, this has become the case that we miss our discipling moments. For example, for those of you who intend or or are even already submitted to the local church, we can aid you in following Christ. We are able to gather here every single week at 9 o'clock to teach you from the word, whether it's Betray or someone else who's before you. This is a great discipling moment. Every week, one of our elders, mainly Brad, will bring us a word, faithfully preach the word of God to us during our Sunday morning service. Great discipling opportunity. During those services, we sing songs. I don't know if you noticed that, but we sing songs that to clearly tell us and teach us the gospel. Every other Sunday evening, like this Sunday, we have a gathering at the end on the evening service at 5.30 where we teach you how to pray over the needs of the body and also give you a, a short devotional of expounding on the message from the morning. We have life groups where there are people who are able to teach you and help you apply the word of God and also pray and encourage you to continue on doing so. There are ministries in which there are leaders specifically equipped to teach you how to do those ministries. There are people like, who go to low socioeconomic groups like those at Grandview. There are people who help the needy like Second Mile Ministries. There are people who help, who help the younger children in the nursery. There are people who are equipped to train you, to teach you how to do these things. There are t- people to teach you how to lead worship. There are people to teach you how to engage with international students on campus. There are people to help teach you how to engage with junior high, high school students, even here at, U- at UBC. There's many a plethora of opportunities for you to be discipled. Even among us right now, there are students who lead Bible studies on campus for you who are being equipped and trained to help take you through the word of God. There are many discipling opportunities here at the local church. But wait, there's more. There's even in Sunday service men and women that you can begin building relationships with even today. How? Go sit by them. There are people in this church that are just longing for an opportunity to pour into someone else. And if you're really looking for that, go sit by them. Go go meet another man, woman, family to introduce yourself to them. Engage in those discipling relationships. There are many avenues in which you can find that this church is able to disciple you. But due to the fact I've been where you are, I'm, I'm very aware of one of the things that often blind us to the avenues of discipleship. And that's our time and our schedule. We filled them. We filled our schedules with many other things. We have classes. We have homework. We have tests. Even outside of the education realm, we have a desire for some type of social life. We have functions. We have parties. There are Penny and the Sparrow concerts that we want to go to. 
There's just a bunch of things going on. And I know that and I understand these things. And some of those things, which are time blockers for us, are even willed by the Lord himself. So I get that there are things that block us and blind us from the avenues of discipleship that are clearly here for us. But take it from someone who's on the backside of their collegiate career, it, it doesn't get any less busy. There's still those time blockers. Like me personally, I wake up every morning. I have to be at my school by 7.30. I get done around 2. I have to be at work in Springdale by 3. I sometimes get done by 6, depending on how the children act. I get home around 7. At that point, I just want dinner and go to sleep because I have to get up the next morning and start it all over again. Those blockers are still there. But here's what I would advise you to begin doing now. I would caution you to begin disciplining yourself to intentionally build into your schedule opportunities to be discipled by the body. Because a failure to devote ourselves to discipleship now would debilitate us later. So begin now, even seeking those opportunities to be discipled by someone in the church. But even like I said before, I would have you pray. Ask God to give you some discernment of how to rearrange your time, even your schedules, that you can begin intentionally building in these discipling relationships with the body. And if I just for a moment, I actually just want to pray over us right now that Christ will begin doing this work in us. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that right now that you even begin giving us spirit-led ideas of how we can rearrange our time. And Father, I pray that you will be, even be uh, re- re- changing the way we think of time, knowing that this time doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to you. Let us be good, good stewards of the time that you have given us here on earth. And I pray that we steward it well and we continue to love and serve the body, even to be discipled by it. Help us in this way. Remove the blinders from us that we may continue to adhere and be discipled and follow closely after you. In Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. So I would challenge you today just to begin trying to arrange your schedule for the next semester or For the next few months, even for those of you who are not members yet, find out when the next members meeting is. Schedule a time where you're going to be devoted to go to that next members meeting. If you're looking for people to disciple you, like I said, seek out people in the church who are faithfully following Christ, who are showing themselves to be good husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, and just good people, good disciples of Christ. Even beyond that, talk to Haley, talk to Trey. Talk to your interns that are here. Find and seek out those opportunities and begin arranging your schedules to intentionally build in those discipleship moments. But I want to put a pin right here to talk about a question that I received last week. When it comes to discipleship and the body, does discipleship have to be done one-on-one? With that question, I give you a lackluster answer. See, although some of us 
may not be in a position to be in that type of discipleship relationship right now, it doesn't excuse you from having the intentionality that those relationships bring. So you may not be in those one-on-one meet up once a week at wherever coffee shop and talk about whatever, but that doesn't excuse you from not having those intentional relationships that usually those one-on-one relationships are good at bringing out. We talked about that a little bit, what we expected from those discipleship relationships and the words of, excuse me, we talked about those in the form of two words, invitation and challenge. And just for a second, I would like to just demonstrate for us what I'm looking for in good discipling relationships that usually those one-on-one relationships are good at bringing out. But this is what we should intentionally look for as we're being discipled by the body or as we're discipling others. So, on one end, there's invitation. There's invitation. So what comes to mind when you think of the word invitation? Some of you who were here last week, have them out. RSVP, yes. So there's an invitation. There's some, I expected you to be here, okay? RSVP, thank you. Anything else? Invitation. Simple phrases, simple words. Welcoming, yes. Wanted. I don't see who said it, but wanted, yes. Thank you. Welcoming, wanted, RSVP. There's intentionality. There's a set time. It's welcoming. This is what invitation is. We see this with Christ. Christ is, is often bringing people in. He's very inviting. He wants them there. He wants them to be around him. But with this invitation also comes challenge. What comes to mind when you think of challenge? Yeah, I'm going to get there. It's difficult, yes. And the difficult thing we're talking about here is in the place we're really heading is how do we become like Christ? This is a very difficult thing. Uh, we, we're very flesh-driven people, and we often fall to our own desires. There are challenges in which we have to face. Even Christ does this very well with his disciples. He challenges them, even though they are of Although they are sinners, he begins to challenge them to be more like him. So he invites them in to be with him, but he also challenges them to be like him. And with high invitation and high challenge, I believe we see a great discipleship culture. With high invitation and high challenge, we begin to see a great discipleship culture. But also, what happens when we lose that challenge? So the challenge just kind of disappears, but you have a lot of invitation. I think that turns us into what I call a cozy culture. It makes us comfortable. 
it just makes you and Christ kind of mutual fans. And it allows you guys just to be cool with each other, but you're not really trying to be like him. You're just trying to be around him. This is kind of our cozy culture where we remove that challenge to be more like Christ. But then on the flip end of that, where you lose the invitation, you begin to lower the challenge, you begin entering into a, a boring type of culture where you're kind of stale in your walk, you're bored, you're kind of, kind of wondering when the next thing is going to be, you're not really excited to be more like Christ, you're not excited to even be with Christ, thinking even towards heaven doesn't excite you. It's kind of boring. But then there's like this other end of this where the challenge is very high, but the invitation is low. We become very stressed. We become very consumed with the things we have to do, but not the one who's going to do them through us. Become very stressed, kind of very legalistic type of culture. But discipleship is very high invitation and high challenge. And this is what we look for from our one-on-one to the one-to-three to our gatherings to we look to have high invitation, high challenge discipleship. I will hope that your discipleship is even marked by this high invitation and this high challenge. Yet, even while we see the need for the master and the other people to point us to the master, we dare not neglect this last ingredient. The needed ingredient of us discipling others. We dare not forget this ingredient because, one, it's a direct command in being a disciple of Christ. Very, very well quoted um, verse, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. It gives us this command that we should go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This command is very clearly given to us. We should be people who are discipling other people. We're not people who just take in information and keep it for ourselves. We should disciple other people to the command of our master. But when do you begin discipling somebody? At what point do you begin discipling someone? Well, if not now, immediately. If you find yourself you're not in discipling relationships right now with other people, pouring yourself out into them right now, I would do that immediately. There is no substitution for you making disciples. This is the command that Christ gives to his disciples. There is no substitution. You can't say, I can cast out a few demons. I can be, uh, I can be the best uh, preacher. Or I can be the best missionary. Or I can be the best whatever you want to be. But there is no substitution for the command given by Christ to make disciples. This is a direct command. So if not now, immediately. Because when we look at our lives, we can really envision it as a tub, okay? Some of us have been well to take in the word as believers of Christ. So we take in the word. We're very good to do that, which is, I will use as symbolically as water. We are able to take in the word. But the problem here is that the word doesn't go anywhere. It just stays with us. It just stays with us. There's no outpour. 
We're not tubs that we just store up everything. We're not big sewage water tanks that just store up everything we received from Christ and from our discipling relationships. And also, I want to fight against the myth that you're maybe not smart enough to, or wise enough or able enough to disciple somebody. You're able to, because that idea really sets the spout for your outpour very high. You begin to raise the level of which you're able to even begin pouring out the word of Christ to other people. In reality, this is not true. The reality of it all is that even now, you can set the spout very low and know that as you're pouring out, you still can never run dry. Because the word of God is ever flowing. And therefore, if the word of God is ever going to be flowing through us through discipleship from other people, we can constantly outpour to other people. Never feeling low ourselves, we can continue to pour out the gospel to others. And that's the reason I use the word gospel, because if you are a believer in Christ, your immediate outpour can be the gospel. You can share the gospel with other people. Teach them how to share the gospel. Teach them how to be bold in sharing the gospel. You have something to share with other people, to teach other people. Begin sharing now, teaching and pouring out to other people. Set the spout low. But here's a caution to you. Don't put a nozzle on it so you can turn it on and off when you want to. Constantly have the gospel on your lips ready in season and out of season to make a defense of the word of God. Constantly be ready. Don't turn it on and off. James 1, 22 to 25 tells us to be doers of the words and not just hearers only. It says as we deceive ourselves by doing so. But also, another warning, don't filter the word with things that you like or the things that you don't like, don't begin to separate the truth of the gospel with things that are very pithy or things that are maybe good for you to tell or you're comfortable telling. Don't filter the gospel. And also, don't add any Kool-Aid to it. Don't add anything to the gospel. It doesn't need to be mixed with anything it doesn't need any additives. It doesn't need any extra sugar. The gospel is good enough as it is. It is what saves us and others and everyone else. Don't add anything to it. Don't try to filter it out. And don't try to stop it up. This is just warnings that we want to take with us as we begin to even look at our discipleship. But what does our discipleship even look like? I believe we have another illustration which helps us kind of see a picture of what our discipleship begins to look like from day to day, where it begins to point at the crowds. The crowds are the people we come into contact with which may be strangers to us. Sometimes in those moments, you're, you're required to interact with strangers. Sometimes your number one interaction with strangers has to do with you while you're on the road and someone cuts you off. 
Do you give them the five-finger wave or the one-finger wave? I've been guilty of both. But even as disciples of Christ, how we disciple others is even how we handle the crowds. Those who press in upon us, we don't know, but are very demanding of us. I have a crowd of myself. I get about 400 kids every day that I have to deal with that demand many things of me, that poke and prod at me. But even though they're my crowds, I have to constantly be willing and able to be able to share the gospel with them and be, a, and be in discipleship relationships with them. But then we see this idea of the 72 in Scripture. The 72 disciples that would follow Christ. And I believe this is just a good picture of the body of Christ. I believe this is a great time where we can begin looking into the body or the local church which you're a part of to see where can I begin pouring myself out uh, into other believers and teaching them in the ways of the Lord. There's that 72. And then we know that there's those 12 in which Christ called himself in Luke chapter 6. He began to narrow his focus down to 12, even to 3, knowing that Peter, James, and John were those people that he began to spend a lot more time with, and even to the one when he talks about Peter. Like, there, he begins to narrow his focus in on specific people in which he's discipling. I think he does this through a very intentional way. He begins to look for people who are fat and hungry. He begins to look for people who are fat and hungry. What does that even mean? He begins to pour into people who are faithful, available, teachable, and hungry for the word. And I think that's what we can begin to do as we begin to see who we devote our time to and becomes into those concentrated circles. Begin trying to discern who are those people that are faithful and available and teachable and hungry for the word of God. And I think there are many places we can find those. You can find those in the student ministries. You can find those in the body themselves. There are many ways and places where you can find those people who are fat and hungry. Sometimes they come to you unexpectedly. I think you just have to be ready for when God opens that door that you will boldly go through it. So to be on the search, be seeking out those relationships for people who are fat and hungry, faithful, available, teachable, and hungry for the word. But before we get too excited about discipleship, notice that when he gives it to command, he says to make disciples. And the making process of disciples is sometimes long and tedious. It's lifelong, even. It's a lifelong journey of us becoming more like Christ. So even as you disciple people, I'll ask you to be patient and bearing with those people. As you disciple them, knowing that you, you yourself are not perfect. You yourself have your own flaws that others who are discipling you are constantly pouring into you, seeking to weed out and crucify the flesh even more, that you can be more like Christ. In the same way, make disciples. Be patient with them. 
Don't expect a, a complete turnaround in one day. I remember discipling someone here during my time at the BCM where I thought he would never understand. I even began questioning his faith. It was so bad at one point in time. But then as that constant outpour of not Mario, but the changing effect of the word, I began to see him grow in his maturity and his understanding and his love and his zeal for the word of God. And the same time with you, you must be able to bear with those who you're discipling. You see, because we can't really transform the world except by one individual. Christ saves one at a time. Christ saves us once individually. He cares for the individual. So we must be caring for the individual in the same way. And I love his book. There's a guy named Steve Shadrach who wrote a book, The Fuel and the Flame. And he very, he's very big on when you disciple others, don't think big. Think towards the basics. What are you going to teach them when you're meeting with someone to disciple them? He says, stick to the basics. Don't try to be fancy or come up with your own type of agenda or system. Just teach them the basics. What are the basics? He always begins with Christ and his lordship. He wants to begin by allowing you to understand that Christ is Lord over your life. And if Christ truly is the Lord of your life, you should obey him. Those two things are directly connected. If Christ is Lord, you obey him. How do we obey him? Well, there are many disciplines in which we can see this obedience outpour. There are four that I usually focus on the most as I'm discipling others. And those four are first, the word. I want to teach and demonstrate and show them how to read the Bible, how to meditate on the word, how to memorize the word, how to read the word of God. I just want to spend time with them that they may fall in love with the word. This is my intention and my desire that they would love the word of God and they would eat it even without me being there. That they would read the Bible. Secondly, I would pray with them. I would pray with them also teaching them how to pray. I would use the the ACTS acronym, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication to kind of model my prayers. I would use resources that teach me how to teach others to pray scripture. Don Whitney has a short book called Praying the Bible that was very helpful to me in understanding how I pray through scripture, even through the Psalms. Steve Gaines has another book that called, that's called Praying Like It Matters that gives very applicable ways in which you can pray through specific passages of scripture. I want to teach them how to pray, even knowing that this was even Christ's disciples' request of him. They asked him to teach us how to pray. Thirdly, I want to teach them how to evangelize. I want to teach them how to share their faith. 
Now, there are many tools we can learn, and you've probably been taught already, or you may or may not know. But there are many tools in which you can share and demonstrate in how to share the gospel. The bridge illustration is one of them. Uh, last week, I did the three circles illustration. You may have seen that. There are many illustrations. But don't forget just the natural flow of the gospel. God is sovereign. Man is sinner. Christ is Savior. We should respond. You should call them to respond by repenting and believing. I think this is the natural flow of the gospel, that God, man, Christ response. I want to teach them these things. This is the, the basics of here. And then, just kind of to mesh it all together, I will say, I want to teach them fellowship. Just simply how to do life with others. How to bear one another's burdens. How to break bread with your brother. Both physical bread and the bread of life. I want to teach them just how to be with people in a very compassionate way. So, a lot of tools, a lot of ways we can be discipling others in which others can be discipling us. Don't be overwhelmed. Just begin with one. Begin with one person. If you haven't done this before, it just seems like a lot. Just begin with one. Take one step. Begin to seek one person to disciple you. Seek one person that's, fat, that's faithful, available, teachable, and hungry that you can begin pouring yourself into. And as you begin doing so, I think you'll be even begin to see that Christ will hear you closer to him. And even your discipleship, your fruit that you bear, will begin abiding. Just start with one. Let's pray. Father, I pray that even as we teach others the gospel and call them into a faithful discipling community, I pray that we see that even that invitation to them applies even here today. So I pray for those who have not followed you as their Lord and Master. I pray that they would repent and believe. And I pray for those who are following you that they would continue to repent and believe. But also they begin to be allow others to pour into their lives and they will pour out to others. May they continue to abide in you and you abide in them that they may adhere closer to the Lord each and every day. I pray this is their desire and their hope and their zeal. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. We have time for a few questions. Yes. If anyone has any questions for Mario regarding what he taught or the topic of discipleship. Give me one. Oh, right. here we go. Do you want? Let me pass the mic. Hey, Mario. Hey. Um, so, in your presentation, you did the um, chart up there that has the one, three, twelve, and seventy-two. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious in scripture where we see the seventy-two. Mm-hmm. Do you know the reference off your 
off the top of your head? I did have it in my notes. I forgot the reference. I'm so sorry about that. That's okay. Um, I was just I'll curious. find that and I will give it to I you. I know um, you, so that's good. I was looking at my notes and I was like, I completely left the reference out. Um, so I apologize for that. Yes. So, um, in a very type of two fish, five loaves type of way, if you remember the sermon that uh, Brad gave a couple weeks ago, we see that as they were traveling across the sea, they get to the other side to a desolate place and find that they're surrounded by crowds of people. It says he has compassion on the crowds because they're like sheep without a shepherd. I think this is kind of that crowds picture that we see. Uh, those who are very pressing, uh, we may not have a personal or even knowledge of who they are, but yet even to them we are to show and demonstrate the love of Christ. Um, the 72, I, I really point to the disciples. Uh, so we, we come to this understanding of those who are disciples are, are believers and those who are adhering to Christ, which is why I point to the local church easily to that, to that distinction. Uh, I think you can easily go to the, the body as a whole. Um, so the university, the universal church body. Uh, so really focused in on those who are followers of Christ. And then those from the 12 to the 3 to the 1. Uh, I gave that reference in Luke chapter 6. Um, when Christ uh, will go into the mountains, he'll pray, he'll come down, and he would appoint 12 of those 72. Luke chapter 6 or 5 may be where uh, it may be. So Luke chapter 6, he comes down from the mount, and he appoints of, from his disciples 12 apostles is what we determine that. So the 12, he began to, in a very uh, concentrated family nucleus, to begin to pour out to. Um, the three uh, would be kind of that Peter, James, John, and that one, that one-on-one with Peter. Um, kind of with us, your crowds, if you're walking on campus every day, boom, there's a crowd for you. Uh, people who are strangers, uh, you may not know, know, know well. Uh, I think the 72 can easily be a body of believers here. It can be your people in your, in your dorm, maybe. It can be people of other churches. Um, you're 12 and you're three and you're one. Uh, I think you begin to, as you get specific to your life, you begin to see those mesh out. Uh, I like to see, the reason I use that Second uh, Timothy 2 and 2 uh, reference, teach people who are faithful, available, teach people who are hungry for the word. Uh, I think that's what you begin to see as you begin to concentrate your time and teachings on people who are faithful to uh, teach other people, which is the biggest key in how Christ choose, chooses people that he begins to surround himself with more often, with the 12, with the 3, and with the 1. He begins to teach people who will teach other people. So that fat and hungry illustration. So as you begin discipling, go into your discipleship, even giving them the assumption that they're going to teach other people the things that you are teaching them. So I think more and more you get to the center of that. Um, more and more this idea of tailoring it towards those people who are fat and hungry becomes. Uh, hopefully that's clear as mud. Yeah. 